Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon, and I hope you're enjoying the 2021 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Dan Borchik, and I'm a first year MBA and engineering student at MIT. It's my pleasure to introduce our panel, The Invisible Opponent, Our Mental Health Crisis. Our panelists today are Shane Battier, former NCAA and NBA champion and current VP for the Miami Heat. TJ Minatop, leading Filipino sports commentator and news broadcast journalist, ABS-CBN. And Kevin Warren, commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. Our panel will be moderated by Corbin Petro, the CEO and co-founder of Eleanor Health. The moderated panel will run for 35 minutes and we'll leave 10 minutes at the end for audience Q&A. Please use the hashtag the invisible opponent on Twitter to submit questions to our panelists. And I will also monitor the chat on all in the loop for questions. With that, I'll turn it over to Corbin. Thanks, Dan. And thank you, Shane, Commissioner Warren and TJ for joining us for this important discussion in a topic that's been elevated in visibility through the pandemic. Personally, I see the impact of COVID on mental health every day in my work as co-founder and CEO of Eleanor Health, where we provide care for people affected by mental illness and substance use disorder. Mental health affects all of us and doesn't discriminate, yet stigma still exists. Critical to this audience, the sports community has a disproportionately high number of people facing mental health crises, with 35% of athletes facing one in their lifetime, yet the percentage of athletes seeking treatment is significantly lower than that of the general public. And with that as a backdrop, I'd love to start with a question for you, Shane. You experienced uh, athletic success at an early age and consistently achieved. You're the only person in history to win both the Naismith Prep Player of the Year and the Naismith College Player of the Year, recognizing you as the top high school athlete uh, in basketball and the top college basketball player. Tell us about your journey, um, that level of success for such a long period of time, and why mental health is important to you. Oh, wow. Uh... That's a weighty question. Um, look, looking back at my career, uh, I did not do a good job of fostering my mental health. Like, I, you know, I'm 42 years old, uh, but when I was coming up, mental health was not looked at something as uh, that that could unlock your success and in, in your potential. It was actually looked at as a negative. If you're talking about anxiety, depression. Um, those are things that are used against you in your climb uh, to your ultimate dream, for which for me was to make the NBA. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, looking back at it, I would have loved to have someone to talk to, someone to decompress with, someone to talk about the, the fears that I had. And because I always felt that I had to be absolute, the model of, of consistency, of, of, of toughness, both mental and, and physical. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize how detrimental that uh, acting that way was until I really retired. And it sort of manifests itself in, in, in many ways, but um, it's, it, it really makes me happy to see that this is a topic that's on the top of everyone's mind that we can openly talk about and discuss. It's not stigmatized as much as it was, you know, even, even 20 years ago uh, when I was a senior at Duke University. And so uh, this is a really, really important uh, discussion. Thank you for, for, for having me. And um, I'm just glad we've, we've come a long ways even in, in a very short period. 
Thanks, Shane. Uh, Commissioner Warren, you obviously work with athletes every day and you've you've sort of made it a priority um, within your, your time at the at the Big Ten. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the mental health and wellness cabinet that you've created and sort of why you decided now and, and what what the, the impact's been? Yes, uh, it's good to see everyone. Uh, but uh, when I was hired in the summer of 2019 as commissioner-elect, uh, it was even before I actually formally became commissioner in January of 2020 that I made it a priority to, to form and launch the Big Ten Mental Health and Wellness Cabinet. And I was just thinking, you know, over my, you know, athletic career many years ago, but we're really, you know, there are two things, I would say two inflection points that really guided me toward recognizing the importance of doing that. One, I have a son who's a currently a, a power five football student athlete. And even before I interviewed for the Big Ten job, we were having, you know, Easter dinner and he had some teammates uh, over who had gone uh, to different colleges, other power five conferences, and we were having a conversation, I was asking them, you know, what was their biggest kind of challenge transitioning from high school into college? And one of the prominent players who, who will play in the NFL one day who started as a freshman said, is, is really my mental health and wellness. I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, during, during the football season, I had some issues with a girlfriend, you know, academics was a lot harder. I was away from home. I'm starting as a freshman. And so I went to the on-campus uh, student life uh, hospital to, to sign up for an appointment uh, to, to get some help from a mental health and wellness standpoint. He said, this woman looked at her computer and said, I'm so glad you're here. You know, you're, this is a really important step and, uh, and we can take you in and how does, and gave a date three months later, you know, how does that sound for you? And uh, he said, you know, Three months to me, you might as well have been saying three years from now. He said, I needed really help then. And he said, even when he went back to his dorm room, his roommate had looked at him as a, as a leader of someone who would be mature to go get help. And when he came back and said, the first time I can get in is three months from now. So that's really when that resonated with me. But where what really uh, has me focus on the mental health and wellness of our student athletes, we have almost 10,000 student athletes in the Big Ten Conference, you know, across 11 states, um, you know, all the way from Nebraska to New Jersey. But as a 10 and a half year old uh, young kid, I was on my bike one day in Phoenix, Arizona and, and uh, was in a, a, a serious and horrific car accident, or I should say a car ran over me. I was on my bike and uh, by the grace of God was not killed, landed on a small piece of, piece of grass after traveling 30 years, uh, 30 yards in the air. Um, and through all of the different medical procedures, you know, months in the hospital and traction. I had a compound fracture of my femur. Uh, then I was in a full body cast. All of those doctors who, who helped me physically, not one time did, did uh, anyone come to me and say, how are you feeling mentally and emotionally? And I think what's happened, you know, the rest of my life is I've had to kind of rewire my brain to, to, to deal with it. But that's when I recognized the importance. I wish someone had come to me and, and helped me to deal with all the, the mental trauma that I went to uh, during that period you know, on top of the physical trauma. It's amazing. Uh, what a story. And obviously, you know, had you had exposure and had visibility, you know, been, been a part of your upbringing, you know, pro probably you would have been able to address it. And that sort of brings to, to TJ, you've, you know, you, you've suffered uh, and struggled with depression since since high school uh, and decided a couple of years ago to be very visible uh, and outspoken about it. And I wanted to just 
understand a little bit more about what, what made you decide to do that and what the sort of impact has been and you know how important is it for, for people who are, are public facing like yourself or athletes to, to really show their vulnerability um, in, in a way like this? Yeah, you know, it was, it was a very serendipitous series of events where, in, you know, I've been a broadcaster, news journalist and sportscaster since year 2000. And, um, you know, I, I, I went to the roughest part of it during high school and uh, first year of college. And I was able to, you know, overcome it really, pretty much really and, and, and be able to thrive and, and find a good career. But I started to encounter people in my work that were advocates for mental health, advocates for, you know, um, suicide prevention. And during a couple of interviews, I actually mentioned my story, you know, on live television, which shocked a lot of people. And that woman who was um, running a, a suicide prevention organization, you know, invited me to give a talk uh, at a school. And when I realized when I shared my story, a lot of students came up to me and thanked me for sharing my experience. And I promised that woman, and then she actually is a friend of my mother's, uh, Jeannie Goldburn of the Natasha Goldberg Foundation. And I promised her about eight years ago, I said, oh, you know what, I think I'll write a book about this. And it was a procrastinated project back in the back burner of my back pocket. Many years passed. I forgot about the promise I made until I started watching a lot of YouTube. And if you're familiar with a YouTuber named Casey Neistat, he was such an uh, amazing filmmaker that I was inspired by how he told stories. And I realized, you know what? I was turning 40 that year. And I think it's time to tell my story. And I think instead of a book, I think it has to be a video because it has more impact with the youth. And that's what I did. I gathered some friends in production, um, it was a tell-all video. I went in graphic detail because I'm a you know broadcast journalist and I, I'm biased to the medium of, of visual arts. And I think it took them on the journey, on that ride. And when I released that video in um, early 2018, it went viral in the Philippines. Everyone's like, it's that TV guy. It's a sportscaster. He went through that, that, and that. And I really wanted to show, give them hope because as a journalist, I've lost count how many times I've had to do reports on suicides. And I'm like, is this the only time it's talked about in the media? when it's shock and awe and it's bad news. But you know the statistics will show obviously that there's many, many, many more people who are alive and thriving. Why don't we talk about them? The good things they're doing, that they're, they're okay and, 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 and put mental health on, on that spotlight. And that's what I started back then. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that it was a, you know, uh, so many things happened at the same time. The Philippines passed a new mental health bill. Um, other celebrities came out, told their stories as well. So I'm glad that we're able to show people who we can look up to. You know, other conditions always had people like cancer, AIDS, whatnot. They're always these heroes of survivors. Back then, we never thought of heroes of survivors of mental health. And that's what I wanted to do. And it's, it started the ball rolling. Thanks, TJ. Obviously, your, your visibility and your vulnerability is, has helped others. And I think, obviously, you know, athletes um, could play a similar role. Shane, you know, you talked about how you weren't great with your, your mental health um, while you were a player. Do you see that? Do you see that changing? Do you see athletes showing more, more vulnerability? And maybe a little bit about how, you know, as you've progressed into your post-athlete career, how you've been more thoughtful about your, your mental health and you know, maybe have, have helped others to, to find that, that path. Yeah, I really applaud uh, some of the players like Kevin Love and, and DeMar DeRozan coming out and talking about uh, mental health and wellness uh, because it is a huge part of who we are as, as people, you know, for, for, forget athletic performance. Um, and it's, it, it needs to be destigmatized. Uh, especially for young people to realize, hey, look, 
we were all going through some things at, at some point and uh, you're not alone, which is probably the hardest part as, as an athlete, as, as a visible athlete, you think you're the only one ever experiencing anxiety or, or, or depression. Uh, when the fact is it's actually really, really common <laughs> um, amidst the, the athletic community. And, you know, as I, you know, as a father now of, of, of two kids and, um, you know, as someone who's vice president uh, for the Miami Heat, and we deal with uh, with young players coming up. It, it's a part of our it's part of our teaching. It's part of our discussions, and and it, and it should be. And it should be. Look, we all we all want to optimize. We all want to be the best people that we can be. And in the athletic world, yeah, that means physical conditioning. That means uh, doing great film study and, and being coachable and understanding your your craft to the to the best of your ability. But it also entails uh, optimizing your, 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 your psychological health, your mental health, your spiritual health, being holistic, holistically healthy. And, um, you know, there's a big push and, and before, you know, obviously this is an analytics conference and we don't have the metrics, so to speak, that, uh, we can, we can measure, you know, the the impact of, of having sound mental health and wellness, but we all know it, it helps. It helps performance. It helps team performance. It helps individual performance. And so, uh, it's it's great that we're, we're dedicating resources and, and hiring um, uh, personnel uh, to to help everybody, not just young people. Everybody uh, optimize their their mental health and wellness. That's great. And I I saw a little a little tiny person walking behind you during. The- <laughs> So I appreciate that you have little ones around the house. Uh, I'd love to just get thoughts from any one of you around the impact of COVID. You know, has that sort of escalated the conversation? Um, What's been the challenge of athletes during this time? Some of which, you know, may have missed, you know, a season that that sprung them into the professional leagues or took them out of um, the situation that they were in into a, you know, a college career. Um, we'd love to get just, you know, anyone's thoughts on the impact that, that COVID's had. Speaking from the Big Ten, um, you know, life is hard. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've always tried to promote, especially this last year, is to provide each one of us some grace. Um, you know, we're all taught as, as, as athletes to, to push beyond a certain point, to work harder, uh, to grind, which is all still important, whether you're an athlete or in corporate America. But when you think about what our young people in the world are having to deal with today, you know, being a student athlete, going to class, taking exams, and then all the limitations and restrictions with, you know, COVID, having to participate, you know, athletically at a, at a high level, not enjoying the college experience, having family members who have actually, you know, died from COVID. Uh, It it is a complex time. So I think one of the things and you had all the different issues from a social standpoint, from all the issues with George Floyd and, you know, that that young people, all of us are dealing with on a on a daily basis. So I just think it's important that we need to to really, like I said, afford all of us or individually, collectively to have more grace in this world, to have more understanding, to be more you know, empathetic, uh, which is really you know, important. And that's why, uh, you know, our, our cabinet is so cr- critical. We've pulled individuals, we have an incredible me- medical com- uh, community in the Big Ten together to address these issues. And uh, from a health and wellness standpoint for our student athletes and someone in a meeting the first day that, that we launched our mental health and 
wellness captain. And one of the things that we did, we provided the calm map to all of our Big Ten family. And so we've had over uh, 17,000 Big Ten affiliated individuals subscribe through the calm map, which we provided to them. And through a relationship that we've had uh, with, you know, one of Shane's uh, cohorts and LeBron, but uh, having a relationship with Maverick Carter and, and with LeBron uh, and see, seeing what Calm has done. And so we provided that free of charge to all of our student athletes, our coaches, our administrators um, in the Big Ten. So we have 17,000 of those subscriptions. And what's interesting, since last May, we've had more than 250,000 Calm sessions up to this date. And in one of our first meetings, when you start talking about from an analytical standpoint, someone asked me what would constitute success. And back to what TJ and Shane have said, I said, if this saves one person's life, just one, if one person had made a determination to harm themselves or do something that they shouldn't do or to take a step back, uh, it's worth it. And so I just think from, from that standpoint is that we, we, we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can, not only for young people, but for every person we, we meet uh, to make them as comfortable and to be as understanding as we possibly can because we're in a very complicated time in our lives and history uh, due to COVID-19. Well, as for me in the Philippines, I'm still, you know, I straddle uh, two time zones and I, I cover the news for the Filipinos in the U.S. and I'm still in touch and tune with what's happening back home. It's a major struggle. You know, the, um, the mental health aspect of life has really been amplified because of the lockdowns. The Philippines had one of the longest, if not the longest national lockdowns in the world. We're undergoing another one right now because of another wave and the college season has not resumed. So, you know, we've had a lot of college athletes who have just been not even training. They're not even allowed to do bubble training at all. So if my only hope is that uh, with what's been going on is that at hopefully at least the management of these teams, the coaching staff, and even their parents, you know, can, can put some emphasis and, and awareness to their mental well-being and their mental wellness. Um, Cause there's not much they can do. They can do individual training, but, um, you know, they're, a lot of these kids are under the clock because a lot of them are from the poorest uh, communities of the Philippines. Breaking through to college is a big step and getting to the pros will get their families out of poverty. So they already have that given pressure on them. So if you lose a year of that momentum of, of that training, of that exposure, of that ability to, to develop your skills and your name and your, your talent, it's a, it's a big blow to them. So it's a lot of unknown. We don't know what's going to happen as we eventually ease out of this pandemic but um i hope that one lesson that um, athletes you know and coaches and management all over the world will learn is that it is something really as shane said it's so important to highlight the priority of mental wellness as much as physical because you know even as a parent i grew up in a culture that um, you know parents in the philippines are so concerned about physical well-being don't get hurt don't run there don't do this but few people are aware to ask the right questions about how they're doing mentally and emotionally. And I think when they um, plant those seeds, that foundation, you'll see them growing as better, more holistic individuals that are, you know, resilient, more resilient to these challenges, physical and emotional. Yeah. So I have to, I have to commend commissioner Warren. Uh, most people don't realize the logistical power that, that it takes just to get our student athletes, our professional athletes, through one practice, through one practice, the stress and the anxiety and the planning it is taking literally an army. And, and so if you're, if you're in it, you have tremendous empathy for everybody who is going 
through this as, as an athlete because look we are all social animals you know most of us play uh, team sports because of the social aspect mm-hmm. the ability to, 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 to hug our teammate to give him a high five to give him a slap on the butt right and that, that's the great part about sports and in covid it's taboo you can't do those things and that's that's really really yeah. hard and then you throw the fact uh, you, you throw the fact on top of that that most people look at athletes whether it's student athletes, professional athletes, and say, look, you got it good. You're going to school for free. You're getting paid millions of dollars to play a game. What, what, what are you complaining about? All right. You, can, you combine that with the isolation of COVID. You can't even like give your teammate a high five. <laughs> you don't have any empathy from the outside world to what you have to do to go to one practice. It's very lonely. And then you throw gasoline on the fire, you know, and the only feedback that you get is not the fans cheering, not the parents in the stands is social media, where it's an inherently a, a negative, you know, harmful medium. Uh, it's, it's a wonder that, that our, our athletes and our student athletes are, are getting through anything right now. And that's the reality that we're, we're getting through. And, um, you know, I like to think that sports teaches a lot of uh, great lessons, like how to handle adversity. So you, you, you sort of get through it as, be- as best as you can. But, uh, there's no question. I mean, we, there's going to be some residual effects of this for, for our athletes. Um, and unless you go through it daily, it's really, really hard to, to understand, you know, how difficult, how difficult it is from an emotional side, logistics side, a physical side, uh, just really, really an amazing time. Yeah. You, you mentioned social media, Shane, you and I talked about social media and the impacts, you know, I think similar to, to COVID-19 you know, can have very, you know, sort of detrimental effects to one's mental health. You know, you were, um, you were quoted uh, during your time with Miami Heat of saying, I had the great fortune of Twitter and social media telling me how terrible I was every single day. Um, and with 97% of adolescents, um, assuming a, a large portion of athletes on, on social media, you know, would love to, to get sort of more of your thoughts on that impact, you know, our role as society, and then sort of the compounding effects of oh. social media, COVID, the isolation. Um, I know this is an area you feel. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I've lived it. And I, I still live it. You know, I still go people, you know, 25 years later from University of Maryland or, or North Carolina, who, who we had pretty good success against you know tell me how bad I am or <laughs> tell me how much they hate me and uh through through social media and uh it's just tough it's really tough there's no handbook out there that that teaches kids like look this is how you deal with social media this is how you handle this is how you put it in perspective and uh look if you have any following at all uh, everybody knows that that one negative comment negates the 99 you may get that are positive and glowing uh, because again, we all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. We all want to be part of something. We all want to feel we belong. And maybe that's evolutionary that we feel that if we're ostracized from the group, then we're more susceptible to the, to the, the wolves and the lions picking us off. Uh, but we all just want to be loved. Every last one of us want to be part of something. And, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, as a father now, you know, as a manager of, of a young team, uh, I just see how detrimental social media can be to the psyche of a still developing brain. Look, our, our, our young people's brains still develop until they're 25 years old. All right. They're still figuring it out and still processing. And, and the, the, the negative, um, uh, I, I guess, neurons that you, <laughs> they're, they're strengthened by, by being exposed to this negativity again and again and again and again and again without filter. Um, 
it's really harming. It's really harming. And and the, the stroke and the adulation can be great. And I've seen a lot of people get addicted to it. Uh, but I've also seen people really be affected by the negativity of, of social media. And so, you know, now that I'm an old man, I, I like to think I have a, a better perspective on it. But look, when someone still slings the arrow from afar anonymously at me, it still hurts. It still hurts. And, you know, I've won championships and, you know, I've lived my dream way more than I ever thought I would. Uh, and so, you know, the more we can, um, you know, support our young people <laughs> when it comes to social media, tell them, look, these are just mean people out there. And it's the, the authentic relationships that we develop, you know, through our teams, through our families, through our circles of friends. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And the rest of it literally is is just noise. Uh, but it's a it's a difficult lesson and it contributes to a lot of the anxiety and depression issues that our, our young people and our old people face. Well, and it's a it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I'd love to hear Commissioner Warren. Um, obviously, you know, the isolation that athletes and all college students have have experienced during this time, you know, what's that balance? So social media for many could be that social outlet, that way that they are creating and developing community. And while on the on the backdrop, you rely on that community who then is, you know, negatively impacting you, that one out of a hundred. Um, how do you how do you face that with your with your student athletes in the Big Ten? You know, similar to, to Shane, I mean, I just have always not been a proponent of social media. I've just, um, in the last last years, even become even worse. And, and uh, you know, back to having grace on, on young people. I mean, I went through a situation last year because, you know, we started the season later than some people thought we should have, uh, regardless of, of what we felt was the right thing to do medically you know, speaking and, and, uh, you know, I had death threats. I mean, I was getting update, regular updates from the FBI as far as the number of people who had, you know, bounties on my head on, on social media. You know, I'm 57 years old. Um, I have probably not really concerned about what people think of me, but it's taken me a long time to get to that point. And a lot of it started with my, you know, accident. I felt horrible, you know, this year where in, in the playoffs where some fans thought that, some of our student athletes didn't perform as well as they should have during the during the NCAA tournament, and uh, and and they said some really mean and hurtful things. These are fans of allegedly of the schools where these student athletes went and uh, attended, and so you just shake your head and you know you 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 know you recognize back to to what we've said. You know, life is a challenge. It really is. I mean, and to, and it's really important. Uh, that that we control social media and uh, and not let it control uh, others. It's always disturbing to me when, when my wife and I go out to dinner and, and look around even before the pandemic and you see sometimes a, a family, the mom's head's down, the dad's head is down, the kids' heads are down, and no one is, is really even, uh, you know, talking uh, with, with, with each other. And so the thing that I'm most concerned about are going to be the long-term ramifications that we won't know until two, three, four, five years from now of what this last year, how it impacted, how it impacted uh, our brains, how it in impacted, you know, relationships now that we're, you know, starting to, to dig out. So I'm a big proponent for, for our student athletes to, to be supported, uh, to make sure they don't get too engrossed in this whole social media deal and how many people, you know, like you and, and all those different things. It is a cruel world. And you need to make sure that, that you focus on developing, you know, tangible, long-term, you know, relationships. And, 
Um, I, I just am literally in the final days of finishing the book that I wrote on my accident called Build Your Own Pool. And uh, because what I did is that uh, the doctor who wasn't real supportive, he was a good surgeon, but not, uh, uh, he was not Mr. Rogers, didn't really give me a chance to, to, to really walk or, or have a sports career. And seven years after my accident, I was playing college basketball, but he did say one thing to me that swimming would give me the best chance of recovery. So I convinced my parents, and that's when I knew I'd probably be a lawyer, to allow me to use the majority of my settlement to put a swimming pool in our backyard. And, uh, and that's what uh, nursed me back to, to, uh, to recovery. So it was doing those times of solace, but I've already, already started to outline another book, not about COVID, but it's really going to be called, you know, 15 minutes. And, and I say that until you go through a serious testing regimen, like many of us had to do that 15 minute period. And I'm sure Shane, you can attest to that. I know for me, like it would cause me like my palms to sweat and I would go through everything. What happens if I got COVID and I now can't go to the game or can't go present a trophy, you know, all the stress and I wasn't even playing. And I was now thinking about what our student athletes was going through, but those 15 minute time periods, you know, really was a time for us to, to kind of reflect about what really was and what is important. And, um, and I just look at all the things our student athletes have had to go through, even from a daily testing regimen. Uh, it's really complicated. And, and uh, that's why I'm so grateful that you are having this panel today to talk about the importance of, of mental health uh, on a small scale and also on a large scale. Yeah, TJ, what about, what about you? Obviously, you know, you've had some positives uh, of, of social media, your YouTube um, uh, video that really elevated um, your profile in talking about mental illness and depression. And then obviously you transitioned that into improving policies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have like a million or something Twitter followers. So you have a, you have a strong platform um, to talk about these things. So it seems like, it seems like you've leveraged it mainly for good. Um, would love to hear sort of your your thoughts there too. Oh, it's it's interesting, you know. It it is a double edged sword. You know, it's it's a powerful powerful tool um, that can be used for greater good. But unfortunately, um, as Shane noted, that it, it amplified that you know the the worst of the worst of human beings come out on social media when they are keyboard warriors hiding behind an egg and a fake name, and you know it's Shane one oh seven forty five, and then they'll just bash you. Um, but um, it, it brings to light that that um, concept of resilience, really. I mean, as 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 parents now, all of us are, and how it's it's critical to to raise our children cognizant of the dangers of of addiction to social media. And I'll, I'll never forget, I read this riveting article in the Atlantic in 2017. It was very controversial. It was called "Our Smartphones Killing This Generation of Teens," and, and he meant that literally because suicide rates, depression rates have gone up at the same time. Uh, smartphones and social media came to rise. So it's, it's pretty much a no-brainer to see what else was a major cause in the spikes of depression and anxiety and the lack of you know, interaction in the streets and, and people coming out. And, and to Shane's point, social relationships are the key. You know, I mean, I was, I was so moved by the, the recent book of Johan Hari called The Lost Connections, where he did such amazing research all over the world and found that one of the key components of, of alleviating oneself from depression and anxiety is is meaningful relationships, meaningful friendships and relationships. And, um, uh, you know, the, the leaders nowadays of, of, of personal development, they'll all, the, all encourage, take your relationships offline. If you make a friend on Twitter or Instagram, whatnot, have coffee with them, have a walk in the park or whatnot. There's so much power in that. Humans were meant to live in tribes. 
you know, we're not meant to live in isolation. So maybe that's why also we're highlighting, you know, magnifying all this, this, this depression and isolation with COVID. But um, with social media, one, one thing I always advise kids when I give talks back in the Philippines is that, you know, be aware that this could lead you to mental health. Be aware. Um, take a step back if you can. I wish I could, but I'm a journalist, so I'm, I'm on it 24-7. You should see my Twitter notification feed. It's like a new sticker. It's nonstop. So um, I wish I could, but I, I couldn't. So I, I love the times when I'm on vacation or at least on a Saturday morning. I totally ignore my phone, just make my coffee, walk outside like, like a phone doesn't exist. And normal humans can do that. That's what I encourage them to do. If you can even have two Instagram accounts in one phone. You know, one is for normal friends and whatnot, then switch to another one purely for inspiration, you know, purely for the, for the roses and whatnot, for the nice coats. And it, it, it's, a give, it's a good boost. So if they're aware that it, there is that danger and they're aware that they can use it for good too, you know, fun on it for good, look for the good accounts to follow, you know, ignore and block the haters right away. Um, that, that's, that's a good step in the right direction. But I agree with Commissioner Warren. I, I worry what, what's going to be like in the next few years because it's, it's really in its infancy stage as a technology. And it's, it's seeding these seeds in our culture all over the world. So we don't know yet where this is going, but I hope there are a lot of smart people who care enough who can do something about it. Yeah, I mean, before we transition to some of the audience questions, I wanted to, um, Shane, you, you and I, when we talked, um, we talked a little bit and I, I felt like you made it really relatable, which I, I feel is a, a strong thing that, that athletes can do. Just some of your transitions, going from an elite high school athlete to a college athlete to a professional athlete into now a, a former professional athlete. It's a lot of transitions. It takes a lot of toll on your identity and your mental health. I'd love for you to share a little bit about those experiences and you know how obviously it's it's relatable to to anyone. When you're you're young and uh, you feel invincible as a young athlete, whether it's in high school or college or in the professional ranks, you think it's gonna go on forever, right? You're not thinking about, you know, one day you're gonna take off the jersey for the last time, right? And when you're in that mode, you don't realize, you, you think I'm invincible, nothing can touch me. And then it hits you, transition. When you're the guy who used to play and all of a sudden that, brought a world of, of, of really pain in, into my world. And for a guy who graduated from Duke, I worked on Wall Street for a summer. I'd save my money. I, I lived out my dream. I said, I, I, I got transition. This is no big deal. I didn't want to play anymore. I want to do something else. Uh, but I really struggled. I really, really struggled. And I, I felt really, really alone. Um, because the mentality that, that brought me to the levels of my athletic career, the, the discipline, dedication, uh, the inability to make excuses, the, the grit uh, were unbelievable and they made me bulletproof, but they also uh, were really, really harmful in a lot of ways as I transitioned out. And newsflash, everybody on this panel, everybody watching this panel is going to transition one day, you know, whether you are Commissioner Warren and you say, you know what, I want to go fishing every single day. I'm tired of being the Commissioner of Big Ten. The day you walk out that office, you're the guy who used to be the Big Ten Commissioner. You know, JT says, you know, I'm done writing. I just want to sit on a beach and, and, and hang out with my family. He's the guy who used to be the world famous journalist. And, you know, it doesn't matter what your job is, what your role is. This is going to be a day where you used to be the person that got you the platform. And that's hard. 
And that's hard and you feel alone and you feel isolated. And there's nothing that prepares you for that day when you are the person that, that is now known as the person you were used to be. And I went through a lot of trials and tribulation. I have a wonderful wife uh, who said, look, Shane, I, I love options. So here's three options for you. Here's a number to the Marriott. Here's a number to your attorney. Or here's a number to a life coach slash psychologist that comes fairly highly recommended. And I said, <laughs> Heidi, you're a very smart woman. I'm going to choose door three. And it, and it led me on a journey uh, really for the first time in my life that I opened up, that I sought help. Uh, in this period that I had no frame of reference for, transition. And to what JT talked about, uh, what you realize, it is about the authentic relationships you make along the way are, are the only thing that matters in, in the end. You know, what do you, what do you learn about yourself? And what are the authentic relationships that you, you make and the connection that you make, uh, which is the great antidote for a lot of the mental health issues that we're talking about, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, the homework for everyone on the, watching this panel, something we can all do, you know, call someone you love them, say, you know what, I appreciate you and thank you and show gratitude for having that person in your life. And you'll, you'll be amazing the endorphins that it creates in, the, in your own mind and, and give you a little boost. And if you can make that a habit, uh, you can ward off um, a lot of ills that we all suffer from uh, coming out of COVID, in COVID. Um, not the answer to everything. I'm not, I'm not a Pollyanna and say that will solve everything, uh, but it's, it's it's an amazing start when you talk about improving uh, your, your mental health. And so uh, I'm in a much better place now, uh, but knowing that I have to be vulnerable, especially to the people who I created authentic relationships with is maybe the most important lesson that I've learned, uh, you know, really maybe ever. I love it. Thank you, Shane. Uh, I'm going to switch over to some of these uh, audience questions. Um, this one, this first one's for Commissioner Warren. Um, what has been your takeaway from interacting directly with Big Ten athletes about their mental health, of playing without fans, and from being away from their their families last season? I mean, the biggest takeaway is that they are uh, spectacular, young, and talented people. It, it's a it's a reminder to me of, of why I accepted the opportunity. I don't even call it a job anymore. I call it a platform, a movement. They're spectacular. Unfortunately, I've been able to develop some wonderful relationships, you know, with them. And, uh, and having two young people, um, a daughter 24 and a son 22, both of them have been athletes. Um, it's just really been an extension of the family. And I think it just reiterates that. And I tell, tell a lot of our student athletes, and I feel confident that during this period of time, to watch them, what they did in our Equality Coalition and our voter registration initiative, that one of them is going to be president of the United States. And I believe that. Uh, but, but one thing it's taught me, because it's so easy as an adult, especially when you're in corporate America, unless you're in coaching or a professor, to lose that common touch with young people. And this has just really stirred my soul and very similar to what Shane said. I challenge people all the time and not even texting, pick up the phone and call a couple people and tell them what they meant to you. I just wrote some notes today. You know, when's the last time you, I'm big into handwritten letters that you wrote someone a letter. There's still letters that, you know, I have from instrumental people in my lives or parents that are 30, 40 years ago that we rely upon. And, and uh, so that's what it's taught me that we have a spectacular group of young people and, uh, and they watch everything that we do. We're modeling for them. And uh, so I think it's time for us to continually to return to being the adults in the room and uh, be great leaders 
admit our mistakes, you know, admit when we fall short, uh, but to really do the best that we possibly can, almost to, to realize that today could be our last day on earth and uh, do all that we can to make this world a better place. And I'm just, I'm just focused on doing everything we can to make sure that, that we leave this world a better place than it was and it was handed to us. Great. Um, another question here, I think any, any one of you could answer. Um, what tips and practices would you have teams implement? And I'll add from a medical perspective, you know, we talk about universal screenings or, you know, a checkup from the neck up um, is one thing that, that we talk about. Um, would love to hear thoughts on, you know, those tips and practices that, that teams could implement. Um, something that's changed my life. Um, and again, I, I love low cost probes. All right. What's the, the least amount I can put in for the greatest benefit. And, uh, I was very anti meditation. I was very anti breathing. I'm like, this is a bunch of malarkey. And it wasn't until after I got done playing that I realized taking time for myself every day, you know, I wake up a half an hour earlier than my, than my family. That's my quiet time. And I write in my gratitude journal about three things I, I'm thankful for every single day. And then I do my breathing. I do my Wim Hof breathing, you know, my breath hold, my base breath hold and my, my meditation every single day. And it allows me to clear my mind. And um, it's, it's, it's made me more productive. It's made me a, a happier person. It's made me a more calm person. And so um, I believe in the science of meditation and, and just taking time for yourself because in this world of, of iPhones and Twitter and everything else, once the day starts, it's impossible to find it. So carve out that time in the morning for yourself. Think, reflect, write. Um, it will uh, it will do wonders for your mental health and wellness over a long period of time, and it's and it's free. Yeah, TJ, I know. Uh, I know. Right yeah. Yeah. No. You know why? Because exactly a year ago, Easter last year, during the lockdown, was when I decided I needed to be healthier holistically, and. And I did meditation before sporadically, but I was fortunate enough to find somebody who's, who's a leading you know, inspirational speaker. His name Jay Shetty. He was doing a live Facebook meditation for anybody all over the world for free. And I, I was lucky that my kid was going to virtual school, so I didn't have to drive him to school. And it was 9 a.m. Pacific time, so I would join every day. And I did that every day. And I eventually discovered Wim Hof as well, Shane. I did the cold showers and the breathing techniques. I didn't realize it would be hard to breathe right? All those deep breaths, it was tough, but when you get it, you feel the effects. And then I got a gratitude journal as well. And uh, I, I, I've, I've read up on the science, I understand it, and I feel it. The very first time I wrote those three things I'm grateful for, it felt like a happy pill that I just took, like, wow. And literally, I just wrote, I'm thankful for my kids, thankful for the hug and love and embrace of my wife, and thankful for my cup of coffee. And when I just reflected, I'm like, wow. Sometimes you realize what these things are for. And then just to give a short story, what that prepared me for was amazing because what happened last year beyond the pandemic, um, if you Google this, you'll find out ABS-CBN, my network, we lost our public franchise due to political controversies with that way. We had a company of 10,000 people, we're down to 3,000. 7,000 people had to lose their jobs. I did not know what was going to happen to me here because we went through a controversial congressional hearing that was televised nationally and went, dragged on for like a month. If you put a recipe for disaster for me to have an anxiety attack, I probably should have had one already by that time. And I was amazed to find myself at calm and at peace because I was just grateful for what I had. I knew that whatever come may 
come may come my way is beyond my control. I've learned that as the biggest key of, of, of overcoming anxiety is learning acceptance, knowing what you can control 100% and what you cannot. And Shane, I told this to Corbin before we, we got on last week, is that I'll never forget the quote of LeBron James in one of the finals when one of the media guys asked him about his legacy and the pressure. And he goes, you know what? I put out 110% of the floor. And whatever results that come out of that, I can live with that. I have my family. I have my life outside of the basketball court. I'm happy. And, and to me, it resonated that, that that's, it, it is what it is. There's nine other guys on the court you can't control. And then there's three referees. You, no, no matter what kind of human being you are, you can't control the outcome of that. So you have to relieve yourself of the pressure of the things that you don't have 100% control. Do your best. Still give your best. And that's what I learned college onwards. And, and it released a lot of anxiety. It let go of a lot of triggers in my life. So that coupled with the meditation, I love the Calm app, Commissioner Warren. That's the app I use as well now. Um, gratitude journal, calling people up. Last year, I had the urge to just give a video message to my mom and my dad and just tell them I love them and appreciate them. And it's the first time I ever did anything like that. And um, I just felt just the joy of, of telling them how much I love them. And I detailed everything, you know, the dif difficulties we went through. But it's something that few people realize how important it is, especially now with COVID. You, as you know, you never know. As Commissioner Warren said, you never know when could be your last day. And Corbin, what I started to do is with my schedule, like I calendar my workouts. You know, I have them booked for the next year. I calendar my massages um, and I treat it like a meeting. And then because in the eye of the storm last year, when we were in the middle of, you know, COVID, um, you know, I always want to focus on one thing a year. And 2020 was my year to focus on my prayer life. I didn't know it would be elevated like it was. But I now just have developed a, a habit of every time I get out of the bed or I get in the bed and every time I'm in the shower, I get down on my hands and knees and my face just to be submissive, to really ask and, and pray for guidance and direction. So that is really calm my spirit. But my workouts, I don't interfere with them. My massages, I don't interfere with them. And then one thing I had studied for like the last just uh, last five years, I was really studying like what made the CEOs that I admire, because the key in life, uh, as Adam Newman, who works at the Big Ten, has said to me, is to always gain the respect of the people you respect. People you don't respect, you don't need to get their respect. But I always focus on what made those CEOs special that I respected. And one thing that seemed consistent was when they were in a meeting that you could not see their cell phones. Their cell phones were off. And so I've made it a priority. When I'm in a meeting, I turn my phone off. So one thing I would say to all the panelists, you know, when you're in a meeting, when you're at a dinner, turn your phone off. And I think that's so critical because otherwise you're, you're, you're never fully, you know, engaged. When, if people need to find you and, uh, and they can find you, they know how to find you. And if you find out something uh, a year later, it's okay. I was on a flight today and a young person next to me, when the, when the flight attendant told us that the Wi-Fi wasn't working, you would have thought, you know, something that went wild. <laughs> it's okay to turn your phone off. So I think we need to just get back to the, to the basics of, of taking our, especially what TJ and Shane did, make sure we carve our time to ourselves. And I talk about this in my book. If you listen, next time you're on a commercial flight, what's they say? What do they say? is to make sure you put your mask on first before helping others. And I think so many times in life, we're putting everyone else's mask on first and not ours. And that really 
has resonated with me. You got to put your mask on. We got to be whole and take care of ourselves for us to be able to take care of those who we need to be in a position to take care of. And it's okay to, to put yourself first sometime when it comes to health and wellness. Yeah. Well, thank you. We're out of time. Um, so in the, in the spirit of gratitude, wanted to thank you all for your, for your leadership, for your visibility, for your vulnerability, and really highlighting mental health, destigmatizing mental health. And thank you for participating in the, the panel today. Thank you. Thank you for everything you. you're doing. All right. TJ and Shane, God bless you all. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.